ECO Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to EcoReport For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Cynthia Roberts. Coming up later in today's feature report, our WFHB environmental affairs correspondent, Nathaniel Weinzaffel, will continue his report on climate change in Indiana with Episode 5, which will discuss the Hoosier Environmental Council. And now for your environmental reports. There's an update on the story about attempts to build a coal-to-diesel plant in Dale, Indiana. Indiana is often where out-of-state corporations propose to put highly polluting processes. WFYI reports a company that wants to build a coal-to-diesel plant in southern Indiana has hit a roadblock. A recent vote in the town of Santa Claus makes it unclear how Riverview Energy will get the water it needs to operate. The Town Council of Santa Claus voted not to sign a Memorandum of Understanding with Riverview Energy and the Town of Dale to move forward with a water study for the plant. Santa Claus Town Council member Patricia Vale said she opposes the plant because it could hurt tourism and further pollute the area. She said she attended a private meeting with Representative Stephen Bartels Senator Mark Messmer, Republican from Jasper, and others where the Indiana lawmakers said the state could pay for the study. Quote, they said, we have money, infrastructure money, and also other kinds of grants that can pay for this study for 350000 or more. So Riverview still was not going to have any skin in the game, end quote, Vale said. Riverview Energy has started construction on the site, but the company wouldn't say whether or not it's purchased the land. According to Spencer County Property Records, the current owner isn't listed under Riverview Energy or Greg Merle, Riverview's president. A report from the Department of Justice says Flexsteel Industries Incorporated has agreed to a consent decree that requires it to pay $9.8 million for the cleanup of contamination at the Lane Street Groundwater Contamination Superfund site in Elkhart, Indiana, and to reimburse the Environmental Protection Agency for a portion of its past costs incurred at the Lane Street site. According to the complaint filed simultaneously with the proposed consent decree in the Northern District of Indiana, Flex Steel is liable for the cleanup because its former manufacturing operations contributed to contamination at the Lane Street site. Previously, EPA entered into administrative settlements with two other potentially responsible parties for their alleged contributions to the contamination at the Lane Street site. Quote, this settlement ensures that the responsible party and not the taxpayers fund the cleanup of the Lane Street Groundwater Contamination Superfund site, end quote, 
said Assistant Attorney General Todd Kim of the Justice Department's Environment and Natural Resources Division. The cleanup funded by this agreement protects the environment and the health of the surrounding community. Groundwater is a drinking water source for wells and public water systems, and it also flows to above ground rivers and streams, said EPA Regional Administrator Deborah Shore. Through this settlement and others like it, EPA is taking action to protect the health of communities and the environment by holding polluters accountable for groundwater contamination. There isn't a lot of development of renewable energy facilities in Indiana at this time because Indiana's legislature is devoted to saving coal. But Indiana will receive some renewable power from Michigan. A new $850 million electric transmission line is planned to connect an area of mid-Michigan targeted for renewable energy development to the power grid in Indiana. ITC Michigan announced plans for a 110-mile line connecting an electric substation near Mount Pleasant with a facility in LaGrange County in northern Indiana. The project is Michigan's first interstate electric grid connection built since 1973 and is part of a larger investment in connecting sites across the Midwest. The area in Michigan already has received significant investments in wind and solar energy production. More investments in renewable energy are likely in rural areas of mid-Michigan as utilities phase out fossil fuel power plants. Quote, These investments are critical to the state as we transition towards a clean energy and electric vehicle future, end quote, said Governor Gretchen Whitmer. The very red state of Indiana shares several issues with more progressive states. Among them are views on climate change, which is not a hot topic in the upcoming election. With purple North Carolina poised to play a leading role in next month's midterm elections, the state grapples with dangerous forever chemicals in drinking water, a large legacy of toxic coal ash from coal-fired power plants, polluting hog farms and their waste, destruction of forests, and an array of vulnerabilities related to climate change. The list is very familiar to Hoosiers. Nevertheless, polling on the race for North Carolina's open U.S. Senate seat shows that climate change and environmental protection are not top-tier issues in the state. Neither Democratic candidate Sherry Beasley, a former Chief Justice of the North Carolina Supreme Court, and the first black woman to serve in that role, nor Republican U.S. Representative Ted Budd, a Trump-endorsed gun store owner, says much about them. In national poll after poll of issues, climate change does not make the top 10 issues. Americans are more concerned with the price of gasoline than the cost of fires, drought, floods, and a 10-foot sea level rise. NBC News reported the Supreme Court opened its nine-month term by hearing a conservative challenge to the federal government's authority to regulate wetlands under a landmark environmental protection law, with Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson asking multiple questions on her first day on the bench. Jackson, the first black woman to serve on the court, was quick off the mark asking a series of questions early on in the nearly two hours of arguments indicating sympathy for maintaining expansive federal authority over wetlands. 
The conservative majority seemed more skeptical, although there appeared to be no consensus about how to draw a line that would limit federal jurisdiction over sometimes hard-to-define patches of wetland. Jackson seemed eager to get to the nub of notoriously complex issue about the scope of the Federal Clean Water Act, at one point saying, let me try to bring some enlightenment to it. Later on, she politely apologized for asking a follow-up question after a lengthy back and forth with a lawyer for Idaho landowners Chantel and Mike Sackett, who want to build on a property the government has deemed to be a wetland. Jackson's line of questioning was similar to that of the court's two other liberal justices, Elena Kagan and Sonia Sotomayor. Nominated by President Joe Biden, Jackson was sworn into office over the summer. The oral argument also marked the first time in history that four female justices had sat together on the bench. The court's conservative majority is skeptical of broad assertions of federal agency power, which could align with the challenger's arguments in Monday's case. In the term that ended in June, the justices issued a major ruling that limited the ability of the Environmental Protection Agency to tackle climate change by regulating carbon emissions under the Clean Air Act. The same agency is in front of the court this time with the Clean Water Act, aimed at protecting water quality now under the microscope. It also marks the return of the Sacketts to the Supreme Court after the justices ruled in their favor in a case in 2012. Both cases involve the same dispute, the Sacketts' effort to build a property on land they own in Priest Lake, Idaho, parts of which the EPA has deemed to be a protected wetland, meaning it is subject to federal jurisdiction and building on it requires a permit. The first case concerned whether the Sacketts could challenge an EPA compliance order in court after they had filled the affected area with gravel and sand without obtaining a permit. The fight, which began in 2007, continued over whether the land was a wetland at all. The court appeared no closer to resolving the confusion Monday. Although the conservative justices seemed sympathetic to the Sacketts, the difficulty of coming up with a test to apply nationwide was not lost on them. The case could have implications for Indiana in that Indiana's protected wetlands were cut in half during the last session of the legislature. The bills that accomplished this change were crafted by legislators who owned construction companies. The state of Indiana and Hoosier Mountain Bike Association officially opened two new trails in Brown County State Park on October the 7th. The mile-long Westgate Trail is rated for beginners, while Gnawbone is a 1.3-mile directional trail that descends from the Westgate Trail. The trails were constructed in part using a $200,000 Next Level Trails grant awarded in 2019. And now for our WFHB Environmental Affairs correspondent, Nathaniel Weinsaffel, a report on climate change in Indiana with Episode 5, the Hoosier Environmental Council. Episode 5, the Hoosier Environmental Council. This is the fifth and final episode based around an interview with Jesse Garbanda, the executive director of the Hoosier Environmental Council, 
an organization that supports sustainable farming, modernizing transportation, transition to greener energy, and protecting the health of Hoosiers. Climate change, a climate action event held at the Indiana State House today. More than 100 members of the group confront the climate crisis, gathered to discuss the importance of taking care of the planet. It's centered around support for two pieces of legislation that are sponsored by Republican State Senator Ron Alting. One is a resolution to acknowledge the problem of climate change. The other would create a climate and environmental justice task force. Senator Alting says he proposed the legislation because of what he's seen happen to the environment during his own lifetime. For many Hoosiers, there is a sense of urgency. Over the last few decades, the effects of climate change have been forewarned, and some areas of the state have already begun to take notice. Farmers have indicated that there has been a change in seasonal weather patterns impacting the crop yields and altering the timing of planting and harvesting. Bloomington residents have experienced once-in-a-century floods, and all Hoosiers have faced the hot summers that have become more frequent. Many residents have started to take action. Earlier this year, students from every region of the state met with Republican State Senator Ron Alting in support of his bill to tackle climate change issues in Indiana. Despite the support, the state government has not indicated that they will hear the legislation, and supporters believe that Indiana has not properly understood the threat to the environment, economy, and the health of Hoosiers that climate change can pose. Despite this, there are many environmental groups across the state who hope to change the trajectory of Indiana by changing the perspectives of Hoosiers and providing an understanding about climate change. This would generate support for proper responses and actions that could protect the state. One such group is the Hoosier Environmental Council. For 39 years, the Hoosier Environmental Council has been hard at work advocating for Indiana to become a, quote, better place to live, breathe, work, and play, unquote. The organization hopes to encourage Hoosiers to become more environmentally conscious and understand the possible climate solutions and pathways forward that Indiana could take. Executive Director Jesse Carbonda has, throughout his career, been passionate about expanding the tent of people who are concerned about the environment and climate. One such method of doing so is reaching out to people who otherwise may be apathetic to environmental issues. Mr. Carbonda explains why three communities, the faith, public health, and business, are a priority for the outreach of the Hoosier Environmental Council. Priorities over the last several years have been the faith community, the public health community, and the business community. And it's not to say that any of those three wouldn't be aware of environmental issues. We're certainly making a very intentional effort to engage all those three constituencies. And so, you know, the majority of Hoosiers are people of faith, and these belief systems are always leading them to the conclusion that um, they need to be better environmental stewards. And our aim is to really, again, make these uh, congregations more aware that there are here and now public policy solutions that can take place in the, in the General Assembly to meet their needs, to, to speak to their needs. Uh, likewise, for the business community, you know, we're, we're very much wanting to lift up those businesses that are adopting really good sustainability practices. It might be a solar company that's homegrown here in Indiana and that's employing people in kind of an underinvested part of the state. Or it could be, uh, you know, a company that uh, is in the business of community support to agriculture and that wants to foster grown organic agriculture. So that's another dimension of what we're trying to do. With the public health community, you know, there's a very 
clear link between climate change and public health as temperatures increase in our state and across the, the country and globe. Uh, it's going to mean more heat waves. And that's, of course, an area that public health professionals care about because they have solutions about how to protect people, uh, the elderly and other vulnerable people from heat waves. Uh, you think about the fact that climate change is going to lead to shorter winters, which is going to lead to more infectious diseases like Lyme disease. So those are the reasons, those are the constituencies that we really prioritize, and those are the messages we really focus on. The Hoosier Environmental Council hopes that through these efforts of connecting with communities, more people will be supportive of environmental actions across the state. Another such method is through reaching across the aisle to people who share different political beliefs than oneself. This has been done by Republican State Senator Ron Olting, who worked with Democratic State Representative Carrie Hamilton in the State House to create the aforementioned climate bills. While these efforts are an uphill battle and have yet to be considered, their bipartisanship is admirable. Mr. Carbonda details the work done by the Hoosier Environmental Council to find common ground in support of the environment. I think our approach at the Hoosier Environmental Council is to build bridges. And so what, what ends up happening is that uh, there's definitely a good portion of lawmakers who trust our knowledge and our experience and with whom we have built long-time relationships who are influenced by our thinking. And there's another portion of people who are extremely skeptical, I think, not because they know us, but because they don't know us. And it turns out that even people who can be polar opposite to us on one issue could be supportive of us on another issue. And so we have to keep having dialogue with everybody because you never know where you can find that common ground. I'd love to bring up that there's a very, very conservative lawmaker in our state who have a creationist view as opposed to a view that's grounded in Darwinian evolutionary thinking. This, this lawmaker, you would think, wouldn't find any common ground with us, but ended up backing a renewable energy bill. We always have to learn the very most that we can about the lawmaker, and then eventually um, we can figure out some area where we can work together. When it comes to climate change and the threat it poses, there is a need for all Hoosiers and all Americans to work together to address the common battles we will all face. Climate change will impact everyone, no matter the political background or economic class. However, there are groups of people out there who actively seek to influence politics in a manner that environmental issues are never properly addressed. Mr. Carbada has first-hand experience in facing up against the people and organizations who have this power, and provides insight as to where the power lies. I would say that the top two challenges we face are that large economic special interests have an undue grip on the legislature, and that there's a portion of lawmakers who are very rigid in their belief systems, and it doesn't matter whatever science or economic arguments you use, they are wedded to their ideological thinking. The power sector, the electrical utility lobby, the agribusiness lobby, and the developer lobby, those three businesses exert undue influence, we believe, in the legislature, and that, I think, is to the detriment of our air and land and water quality. Despite the politics at play, there are efforts being made to improve the environmental conditions of the state. One of the methods that could help prevent the worst effects of climate change worldwide is to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. These pollutants, including carbon dioxide and methane, will continue to warm the planet the more prevalent they become in the atmosphere. Carbon dioxide, or CO2, accounts for about 80% of all the greenhouse gas emissions coming from the United States. The largest sources of carbon dioxide come from transportation, mainly through the use of gas cars as well as the burning of fossil fuels to generate electricity. Mr. Carbonda discusses the efforts of the Hoosier Environmental Council to generate public support 
for more renewable and cleaner forms of energy. You know, one piece of responding to climate change is helping to bring about reductions in past gas emissions in the state. And the three biggest opportunities we see to cut emissions in our state are in solar energy, electric vehicles, and mass transit. The long-term goal for rooftop solar is to make it more affordable and accessible uh, by the uh, extension of net metering, which is a policy that's going to phase out next year in Indiana. Policy area that we want to work on is uh, electric vehicles. How do we make electric vehicles not only accessible to the wealth to everyday people, and if there, how do we get electric vehicles in places that can make a real difference in air quality? So, for example, Indiana has these pockets of what we call environmental injustice hotspots, areas where people have an undue burden of pollution. They, they just face too much pollution. And if we can deploy electric vehicles in those communities, we will help to reduce pollution there. So, for example, if there is a dump truck moving through that community that is spewing diesel exhaust, it's obviously not going to help with air quality in that local community. And so the idea would be to try to provide an incentive to replace the old diesel dump truck with an electric-powered dump truck. That's kind of a second policy area of cutting greenhouse gas emissions that we want to see happen. A third area is mass transit. Indianapolis passed a referendum a few years ago, uh, which is leading to a significant expansion of mass transit. But there's a faction of the Indiana General Assembly that wants to cut funding for this central Indiana mass transit expansion. And there's a necessity to fight back and try to defeat those bills so that mass transit can have the chance to truly succeed in Indianapolis. And if it does, then it will really inspire other communities Besides reducing greenhouse gas emissions through a conversion to more renewable energy sources, general environmental advocacy could help improve the current situation that Indiana finds itself in. The Hoosier Environmental Council wants to use nature to help the state fight climate change. For example, the protection of wetlands is necessary to prevent flooding, as these areas along the state's rivers act as a sponge, and the area is less likely to flood. There is also a movement to remove the coal ash ponds across the state that can lead to pollutants entering our state's waterways. Mr. Carbonda advocates for these policy positions and climate adaptations. Climate adaptation side as far as long-term priorities for ACC, one of them is to reverse what happened when SB 89 was passed. 89 is, is a bill that really begins wetlands protections in Indiana, and wetlands are really important, especially in the context of climate change, because wetlands are incredibly good sponges that can help to essentially absorb a lot of flood water in the event of a massive rain event. But the problem is that S-89 significantly weakens protections for wetland. Another public policy that we want to see with respect to climate adaptation is related to the fact that we have a lot of coal ash waste pits and a lot of factory farm waste pits that are in floodplains. And if there's a severe flooding event, those waste pits could break up and spew ton of pollutants into our rivers and streams. And so we've got to enact public policy in our state that relocates these waste pits away from floodplains so that we protect the rivers and we also protect the groundwater that is oftentimes very near these rivers. When it comes to Indiana and the resulting effects of climate change, there is a sense that unity and support is needed between all Hoosiers to address the crisis that will impact all of us. Work done through organizations such as the Hoosier Environmental Council seek to find common ground between both the citizens and policymakers to find common solutions to this statewide and global problem. 
Similarly, there are current trends that are leaning towards a more renewable future, with cleaner energy and vehicles gaining more and more support across the state. Boosting the natural environment of Indiana has been shown to protect us from the effects of climate change, and advocacy is needed to ensure that the protections are enshrined into law for the future. Being knowledgeable about the Hoosier Environmental Council and actions being taken to both mitigate and respond to the climate crisis is an effective tool to convey the reasons why sustainable and achievable adjustments should be made to become more environmentally friendly and prepare the state for climate change. This is the last episode of WFHB Community Radio's multi-part series, Climate Change in Indiana. Thanks to Professor Kravitz, Professor Yoder, Professor Kirkpatrick, and Mr. Carbonda for enthusiastically being a part of this project. While Indiana will face many challenges in the future, the state is making progress to be ready for whatever is to come. For WFHB, I'm Nathaniel Weinsapple. For Eco Report, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Cynthia Roberts. Here at Eco Report, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience in all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for some upcoming events. Learn all about animal tracking basics and beyond at Wapahani Mountain Bike Park on Saturday, October 29th from 1230 to 230 p.m., You will receive instructions and perform exercises that will teach you how to identify signs that wildlife has left behind. Bring drinking water. Register at bloomington.in.gov slash parks. Join park expert, bird enthusiast, and NPR's Moment of Science radio personality, Don Glass, for a presentation and discussion about Indiana's seven species of native woodpeckers at Brown County State Park on Saturday, October the 29th, from 11 to 11.45 a.m. Meet at the Nature Center to learn what they look like, their behaviors, and some of the issues they face today. Spring Mill State Park will present a Scary or Not, Here I Come program on Saturday, October 29th, from 7 to 8 p.m., The naturalist Cherie will meet you at the activity center to teach you about three animals that tend to scare us and that are misunderstood. Join the naturalist for an owl prowl hike at the Fairfax State Recreation Area at Monroe Lake on Saturday, November the 5th from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. You will walk through forest and field to learn about the species of owls found in southern Indiana. Learn which habitats they prefer and what they sound like. Take a full beaver moon hike at Spring Mill State Park on Saturday, November 5th from 8 to 9 p.m. The hike is one mile long on Trail 5. You will learn the folklore and history of the full beaver moon. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. 
MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy. Our feature was prepared and presented by Nathaniel Weinzeffel. Our script today was assembled by Juliana Daly and edited by Patrick Callanan. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Patrick Callanan produced and edited the audio for today's show. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly, and have a safe Halloween this weekend. And I'm Cynthia Roberts. And this is Eco Report. <laughs>